Good morning. My name's San. Um, some of you watching, many of you watching might know me, might be familiar with who I am, a part of this church community. Um, it's a privilege to be part of this family. I love this community of people. Um, but you might be watching for the first time, you might have stumbled across this stream. Good morning. And we pray, I pray that Jesus Christ will be a reality for you today. Whatever this, that day looks like, if it's two weeks from now, he'll be a reality for you. Um, as you know, we're going through Acts. We're going to jump straight in. We're in Acts 8 and 9 a, a little bit today. We're going to be kind of, I'll be reading around Acts 8 and 9, looking at different chunks from there. We're looking at the life of Paul. But just to remind us why we're doing this, we want to see again that this incredible letter, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the birthing of the early church, this empowered body of people, Jesus followers, suddenly empowered by the presence and the power and the love of God, to go everywhere, throughout all nations, um, communicating the realities of Jesus. Started in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Um, today we're looking at the life of Paul, or Saul, as we'll see. He, he goes by two names. Um, he's not a spy, he just goes by two names. And specifically, we're zoning in on his conversion today. We're not looking at the life of Paul because, oh my goodness, the, the very wonderful Tom Wright has done a whole book on the life of Paul. So read that if you want to figure out his missionary journeys and all that. It's all zeroing in on this conversion. So today, like, it's about an in-the-moment moment that transformed and changed everything. So Saul was his Hebrew name, um, and Paul was given to him while him and Barnabas were in Cyprus. It says in Acts 39, 39 while they were there, he was also called Paul. And from Acts 13 onwards, he's referred to as Paul. For the rest of the New Testament, he's referred to as Paul. This was the name given to him to reach the Greeks and then the Gentiles uh, effectively because the mandate on Paul's life was to be transformed, as we're going to see in a moment, but then to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish world, to carry the realities of Jesus to all nations, but there was a dramatic transformation that literally caused a 180 in his life, a complete 180. Changed name, uh, subtly changed identity, changed purpose. He went from an enemy of the cross and of Christ to giving his whole life to serve him. I think it's around 13 New Testament letters and books that he wrote, he penned, or others penned for him. And other than Jesus himself, I would argue that Paul is probably the most influential and significant voice and person in Christendom that has ever lived. But it didn't start there. He was completely anti. But this conversion led to him being probably the most significant voice other than Jesus that has pushed the message of Christ across the known world. So we're gonna look at where it started. Well. If you remember a few weeks ago now, John Hodges, the very wonderful John, Jonathan Hodges. Look at this, look at this. Whoop, whoop. Um, he talked about Stephen, the first martyr of the faith, the first person to get killed for confessing Christ as Lord. I'm going to move over here because I think the verses are going to come down here. I, I, I can't do two things. I don't just move and here and here and here. Um, Acts 5, 6, 7, 8. Um, Acts 8. One to three. And it says, And Saul approved, this is Paul, he approved of Stephen's execution. 
<laughs> so I've got that in my head now. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. They were basically they were gutted. They were grieving. Then verse three, but Saul was ravaging the church and he entered house after house, dragging off men and women so he could commit them to prison. You see, basically Paul or Saul gave his huge thumbs up, a big yes to killing Stephen. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty immense, right? The Amplified Bible says he wholeheartedly approved. He wholeheartedly approved. Then we read here in verse three, he was ravaging the church. It's a huge word. It wasn't just like, I'm slightly anti. He was ravaging the church. Other translations say destroying, making havoc. The message says he just went wild. He just went wild. The Amplified kind of encompasses all the emotion here in verse three. It says, ravaging the church and assaulting believers. This is the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, ravaging the church and assaulting believers. People like you and I. So this is pretty extreme. This man absolutely hell-bent in destroying the message of Christ and all who claim it as their own. The persecution, this was persecution. This is what this persecution looks like. And this persecution pushed them out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. They fleed. They saw what had happened to Stephen. Some of them had heard the story of Jesus. They're like, absolutely not. Not on our watch. We're out of here. I, I um, wrote this down. I, I read this statement about persecution. It's harassment and suffering which people and institu institutions inflict upon others for being different in their faith, their worldview, their culture or race. It's massive. Persecution isn't just like a, calling someone a name. Persecution seeks to intimidate, silence, punish or even kill people. We know that Jesus was persecuted and finally killed for his faith by the religious and political establishments of his day. So it's about harassing, oppressing, even killing people because they're different. Still happening today, friends. This is still happening in the world today. This scattering, though, does not stop the workings of God, the movement of God, the purposes and plans of God. It's incredible because persecution, as we see later on in Acts as well and in other places in the New Testament, when persecution happens, God does something quite remarkable. It doesn't stop his purposes and plans. It seems to accelerate them or it seems to multiply them. And we see this. We see this in China, in the Middle East, the underground churches just tend to multiply and grow and spread. It's remarkable. This scattering doesn't stop this spirit-enabled, Jesus-following, Jesus-believing body of people to new places, new regions, new people groups, person after person after person, place after place, region after region, preaching Jesus and demonstrating the realities of the resurrected Christ wherever they go. And then we get to Acts 9, verse 1 and 2. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder, <laughs> pretty intense, against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The way, I love this phrase. Remember, Jesus is the way. 
He's the way, the truth, and the life. This is how the Bible defines him, the way, the truth, the life. Followers then were known as those that follow the way. And I like referring to us in this way. Christian, the term Christian was given as a bit of a mickey taking later on in the story, but we are those that are followers of the way, this new way, the ways of Jesus. Anyone belonging to the way, you see, that's what he was hell-bent at stopping, this new way, this new way that had sprung up, this new faith that had sprung up and was started and was spreading. So he was on a mission to cause maximum damage, breathing out threats and murder. That's pretty intense. You know what? And I don't, I don't always look at, look at Paul this way, but we can tend to look at Paul as like the villain in the story. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't cool what he was doing here. It's not like, oh, you can, you know, take it or leave it. Threats and murder. You know, threats and murder. Sometimes it's threats, sometimes it's murder. Now, none of that was gr- good, right? But he can... We can, we can misunderstand him by thinking he's somehow like the pantomime villain. Every time he enters a scene, we kind of boo and hiss and boo and he, did, 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 and he goes off and covers his face again. But Paul believed in God. He was a zealous Pharisee. He said he was from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He believed God. He wanted to serve God. He was zealously following God with everything in him, every fibre of his being. He was following the Jewish law to the T. This religion was life to him. It was the blood that oozed through his veins. He was zealous. He was passionate. Sold out for God. Absolutely sold out. So he wasn't anti-God. He was anti this new way. And this new way was going against everything he stood for. His forefathers It was blasphemous. That's why Stephen was killed. That's why Jesus was killed. The question is, though, or the reality is, he just hadn't met the living God in the person of Jesus. And this is the conversion, the turning point. Acts 9, 3 to 18. We're going to read a fair bit of scripture today. I hope you're okay with that. I really want the word to speak for itself. Acts 9, verse 3 to 18. So... He was breathing out threats of murder and then he says, so he's on his way. He was on his way. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and then suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? I think that's remarkable in itself. And he said, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what to do. The men who were with Paul, Saul, travelling with him, stood speechless, as you would, I'm sure, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Saul arose, he arose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to a street called Straight. And at a house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he's seen in a vision a a man named Ananias come. Basically, he's seen you in a vision come and lay hands on him that you may regain your sight. But Ananias answered, absolutely not. (laughs) 
you, you, we've got to see the nuance here. He's like, uh, excuse me, who? Lord, I've, I've heard of this man. I've heard from many about this man, how, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priests to go and bind all who call on his name. You can imagine it. Ananias, go to this man Saul who's breathing out threats and murder. Absolutely not. But he does. He says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd love to see how this works. <laughs> brother Saul, I'm here, I'm gonna lay my hands. And he regained his sight and was filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. He then rose and was baptized. Some translations say he arose, had some food and was strengthened. Acts 9, 18 to 22, from here. From, for some days he went with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Isn't this remarkable? He went from killing, from destroying, from uh, capturing, from threats of murder to saying he is the son of God. This man is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man that caused havoc in Jerusalem? Skip down to verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is just remarkable. This incredible transaction that went place, a tr complete, utter life transformation. God picked a man that was on a mission of destruction and used him for his glory and good. It's remarkable. This is just like God, right? This is what he does. He grabs hold of things that seemingly look evil or wrong, or against goodness, and he transforms them to use them for his glory and his good. He chose Paul. And he said, I'm going to use him as an instrument. I'm going to use Paul. I'm going to choose Paul. I'm going to choose this man that's breathing out threats and murder, and I'm going to use him as my instrument to carry my name to the ends of the earth. This is a remarkable conversion. And you know, conversion basically means a changing from one form to another, a complete change from one form to another. And for Paul, it was an unveiling that took place. It says something like scales fell from his eyes. That must have been pretty graphic. I don't think it like fish scales, but something powerful happened. Something like scales fell from his eyes. So there was this unveiling. See, see, Paul's mind was veiled. Paul's heart was veiled. The scripture says outside of Christ, we've been veiled. Christ has been veiled to us, to our hearts, to our minds. So something of an unveiling happened. The truth of Jesus. You see, religion stood in the way. Religion, tradition, all of, all of the law stood like scales in his eyes. He thought he was doing the right thing in the name of God, but then Jesus broke in. Then Jesus, he saw Jesus. Paul saw God, the true and living God in the face of Christ. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Boom, in a moment. Up close and personal. As I said, he, Paul goes on to write like a lot of the New Testament. He, he wrote two letters to the Corinthian church and in his second letter, 
He, it's almost like a reality of what happened to this, to him. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I, I feel like Paul is showing us here, this is what happens. This is what happened to me. And this is what happens to those that turn to Christ as Saviour. Light shines out of darkness and he shines light into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. In a moment, friends, all of his tradition, all his zealous religious following of the law, all of that, all of the forefathers that passed down, all of everything that he stood for, all that he knew and followed was completely undone in a moment by one encounter on a road by the risen Christ. Friends, I want to challenge us. What stands in your way? Religion? It's so easy to get riddled with religion. Tradition? Fixed viewpoints and opinions? Maybe bigoted views? Judgments about other parties, other people, other groups? We all do it. We all do it. We all have judgments that can stand in the way. We can think we know God, but completely miss Jesus, completely miss him. We have to be like Paul. I have seen God in the face of Christ. I have seen God in the face of Jesus. Scripture is explicit about this. Colossians 1, verse 13, the first verse, 1 first, uh, verse 15, the first part, it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3, the first part of 1.3 says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint or representation of his being. You see, friends, to see God means to see Jesus. To know God means to know Jesus. If you want to know what God's like, if you really want to know how he moves, he's, how he responds to humanity, what his heart, his nature, his, his character, his ways are like, you need to see them portrayed in the life of Christ. To see Jesus is to see God. You see, we can be so blinded to this. Humanity can be so blinded to this. Paul writes previous to this in 2 Corinthians 4, says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age has blinded minds. That was my mind, that was my heart. He's talking about our hearts. Scales have completely blinded us that we cannot even see. But then Jesus removes this veil so we can see God's glory in the face of Jesus. Paul was radically undone. His life dramatically changed because he met Jesus. You see, friends, that's what Christianity is all about. It's not first and foremost a, a moral compass or a set of belief systems or stuff. That, that, that starts coming, that starts work, working. But fundamentally, Christianity is about a people that have encountered Jesus. That, that's where it starts. That's where it stops. That's, that's your whole life's journey, encountering Jesus, growing to know Jesus, being drawn closer to Jesus. So Paul goes on to say in Philippians 3, I consider everything of my past rubbish compared to knowing Christ, my Saviour. You see, it's about relationship, not religion. People have met Jesus. 
going from one form to another. The Bible calls this new creation, being a new creature or a new creation, being born again. Jesus says in John 3, 7, you must be born again. You must be born again. We can't enter the kingdom without being born of the Spirit. Being born of the Spirit, being born from on high, you must be born again. Now, this, this just looks different for all of us, how that happens. For me, it's a Wednesday night in someone's front room. For other people, it's, it's in a shed. I don't know why I've said shed. For other people, it's at work, at their school, walking down the street on their own. I, I, I've heard people watching the TV, they encounter Jesus, got saved, encounter Jesus, walking down the street. Like, however it happens, is about encountering Jesus and we are born again by receiving him, by confessing him as saviour, by giving our hearts to him. This new birth, birthing from on high, born again, happens in a variety of ways, just like natural birth. Different for all of us. I know there's kind of one way that happens. Um, don't want to go into that. Um, but let, let me say, like, my children, very different for both of them. So my son was born in the most sterile environment known as a hospital and my daughter was born in the front seat of our car mm -hmm. in the middle of the night a beaten up old Renault Scenic with crisp packets everywhere <laughs> it was it was horrendous <laughs> but she was coming like she was coming this this new birth was happening so my son born in the hospital my daughter in the car <laughs> very different and that's the same for us Man, man, Jesus reached out into my life while I was trapped in drug addiction, while I was trapped being lost, broken. I was, I was hurting. I was scrambling around at this thing called life. And in a moment, Jesus stepped in on a Wednesday evening in October in someone's front room. How did that happen for you? But we must be born again. You know, if Paul was here, he would say the same, you must be born again. Jesus says it through his word, we must be born again. So I want to ask, have our lives radically changed? Have you been born again? Because there would be tangible evidence. I know for some, like this is different for all of us. We all have a story. Sometimes we try to say, well, my story's not as good as Barney's story or, or, or Miles's story's not good as, as good as Joe's story or whatever that might look like. There are people here, by the way. I'm not just randomly pointing <laughs> so you can hear them. Um, but they're different. The question is, has your life changed? Is your life changing because you're following this risen one? For Paul, he went from causing havoc, killing people, to defending and protecting and building the church. The very church that he wanted to destroy, he gave his life for. He went from persecution to peace, from hatred to love, from following the law to surrendering everything to Jesus, his saviour. You see, in Paul's mind, he can't now see any separation to where Jesus starts and he ends and he ends and Jesus starts. He's like, no, I'm completely one with Christ now. We're like, we're like merged together. We are so one. And he wants the readers down the centuries to understand the same. If you have confessed Christ as your saviour, you are one with him. You're seated with him. You're baptised into him. You're grafted into him. You're hidden in Christ. It's amazing. And that's his overarching message for the rest of the New Testament, pretty much. He's like, Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. And he wants to make his home in you. We're grafted into him. Galatians 2.20, this is a reality for Paul. 
I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's true for you, friend. Like if you've come to Christ as saviour, you've been crucified with him. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, Paul wrote this as well. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is huge. This is literally huge. For Paul, this is night and day. For us, this needs to be night and day. This isn't like, nah, my, my life is just bettered. I remember when I first got saved, my friends were like, what on earth has happened to you? I was a little odd as well. But what has happened to you? Effectively, they're seeing the Christ in us, something in us, changing from one form to another, darkness to lie, life, darkness to light, death to life, new creation, new birth, being born again. So I want to ask, what does that look like for you? Some, some of you are watching, and you've been a Christian longer than I've been alive. So I don't mean to patronise you in any way but I want you to think of your conversion. What does Christ mean for you? What has Christ done for you? Like Paul would say, man, he's done everything for me. He now, he, you look it through scripture and he considers himself the most abnormal, the most wretched. He went from pride to utter humility, knowing that Christ was everything to him. So what does that look like for you? It might not be as dramatic as Paul, we know that, but it should look in some way that there's a 180 has taken place, whether that was when you were seven or 77. A 180 takes place where you're going your way and you turn and you start following Christ. That was true for me, man, I was blinded. I had scales filling my heart and my eyes. My heart was dead outside of Christ, but in one millisecond, I encountered a love that transformed everything, everything. I encountered God's love for me expressed in Jesus. Someone told me about Jesus and I encountered him, his grace, his mercy, his love, his unconditional, his unconditional love. I knew I was born again. I knew in that moment, my life would never be the same again. There was a suddenly moment that took place and I left a new person, new creation, from darkness to light. I want to invite the, the band back up here to join me. <laughs> it's, it's funny how we say that, the band back up here, we're, we're in a little room, it's like they're not coming from miles away. Um, I just want to ask again, where do you find yourself? Where do you find yourself? What does Jesus mean to you? What does he mean for you? What has he done for you? I want us to think for a moment about the sheer gift, the sheer miracle of new birth, this life transformation that Jesus creates in us. I want you to remember that there are none too far off. There are none that are too broken. There are none that are too, too bad. There is no one on the face of this planet that is not unreachable for Jesus, for the mercy of Jesus, for the love of Jesus. Paul shows us this in his life.
Jesus's great mission on earth is to transform lives. And Paul, for the rest of his life, he sets his life's course at this great purpose, to take the message and the reality of the risen Christ into all regions of the earth. Started with him and it's now spread and it's hit us hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. This is his message. Jesus is real. Jesus is really God. And Jesus is really for everyone. I want you to hear that. Jesus is real. Jesus is really God. And Jesus is for you. Jesus is for everyone. So I just want us to take a moment to pray before I hand over to these guys that will just lead us to create some space in worship for us to encounter Jesus. I want to ask you, what does that look like? Maybe you're listening in the moment right now, or maybe you stumble across this later down the line. Jesus kind of straddles time. It's nothing to him. He'll meet you where you're at if you allow him. And he wants to invade your life. He wants, he wants to jump into your heart. He wants to utterly transform your life. But all you need to do is surrender. Like Paul, who are you? Find out who he is. Ask him. Ask him to reveal himself to you. For me, I just experienced this overwhelming sense of love and peace like I cannot fully describe. I knew I was being flooded with love. And it was the love of God that was forgiving me, that was cleansing me, that was re like re releasing me from all my shame and guilt and pain. And it was the presence of Jesus that was making me whole again. So I wanna pray. I wanna, I wanna invite you to pray along with me, even if you know him. Why don't you place your hand on your heart? Wonderful Lord Jesus, there's almost too much to say, but I just simply ask you, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you reveal yourself to us if we know you? Would you keep showing us just the beauty of who you are, your incredible mercy, your incredible character? Draw us closer to your heart. Show us again, show us your face again. Show us your heart again. Show us your heart of compassion, your heart of love, your heart of grace. Show us who you are, Jesus. Help us become true followers of the way. For anyone listening and watching that doesn't know you, as if I even need to ask you, Jesus, do what you do best. Reveal yourself to them. And if that's you, friend, all you need to do is say, Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And I want to choose to follow you. That's all you need to say. Make it your own words. So wonderful Jesus, I just ask that you'd flood hearts for your glory and for your good name's sake. Amen. And I just want us to encourage us as a community to pray. Let's pray for the wonderful activity of converted lives amongst us. 
Let's believe more and more that we'd see Jesus transform lives, that we would see people going from darkness to light, becoming born again, welcomed into the kingdom. So keep praying, keep praying. I just want to hand back to these guys as we close our time in worship.